Welcome to worship at Seattle Mennonite Church. Our scripture in the narrative lectionary this week moves from last week's story, Hannah's longing for a child, to the beginning of the reign of David. Here, God promises David an heir whose kingdom will last forever. And David offers with perhaps obscure motivation to build God a real house. We want to acknowledge now that all of us, wherever we are, are gathered on the land of First Peoples. Here in Seattle, we are on the unceded lands of the Duwamish tribe, a people who were here before state and country, a people still alive and active in this city and making their own demands for justice and equity for their people. Last week, Amy mentioned that the Duwamish are offering eco-tours at Ha'apus, the historic village site across from their longhouse. More about these tours is at the Duwamish website and the link for that is in the chat. Remembering that this city, Seattle, owes its being to the Duwamish people, one way to offer thanks and some small recompense is to join Real Rent Duwamish, also listed in the chat, and give a monthly stipend to the people on whose land we now live. And now Michael is going to lead us in our gathering song, O Healing River, in the hymnal 372. Good morning. Let's try to sing together, even though we can't hear each other. Um, I chose Old Healing River because it seemed to relate to the uh, message we'll hear this morning, and also because I read the newspaper this morning, and uh, realizing how much healing we need in our own country today. healing river send down your waters send down your waters upon this land oh healing river send down your waters and wash the blood from off of the sand this land is parching, this land is burning, no seed is growing in the barren ground. Well, oh, healing river, send down your waters, oh, healing river, send your waters down. Let the seeds of freedom awaken and nourish. Let the deep roots flourish. Let the tall stalks rise. Oh, healing river, send down your waters and bless the blood. Out of the skies, oh healing river, send down your waters, send down your waters upon this land, oh healing river, send down your waters and wash the blood. From off of the sand. Now to our call to worship. Whatever the coming months may bring, we know that the Holy Spirit will still be weaving us together as a community. 
We want to claim this time of physical distance as not simply something to endure, but an experience that we can still share together. May it be so. Now, please join me in our call to worship. I will read the lines for one, and Lauren will lead us in the lines marked for all. God be with you all. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to our God. Let us give thanks to God, our creator, redeemer, sustainer. It is right to give our thanks and praise. And now we're lighting our peace candle. We light our peace candle each week to acknowledge that we both witness to and participate in God's vision for a just peace for all creation. So much of this year has been a mesmerizing horror show that I hesitate to expand on the theme. But we know at this point in 2020, among many other things, the year will either be the hottest year or the second hottest in the global record. Carbon dioxide levels continue to climb and the climate crisis only exacerbates ongoing biodiversity loss with its own mighty impacts. In humans turn to modernity with all of its benefits for us, we have become like invading aliens to the planet that birthed us. My prayer is that we, its prodigal children, make up our minds to return home and relearn our kinship in this intricate family tree. Further, and to swap parables, that we reflect on our answer to the question, who is my neighbor? The orca pods in our Puget Sound fungi in tree-spanning information webs beneath our feet, the microbiome in our own intestines, even mosquitoes, all of them, and more than we can know, creatures like us, beloved of and covenanted with our creator. For all of us, I light this candle. And together we say, we long for a just peace. We pray for a just peace. We choose to live for a just peace. Peace be with you. And also with you. Good morning, everyone. For our children's time this morning, I chose this book called Where Does God Live? As Jen mentioned as in the introduction, uh, David in our scripture this morning wants to build God a temple, somewhere for God to dwell, to live. Um, and in this book, the little girl in this book wonders, where does God live? Does God live in a house or in a particular place? And we'll find out what she learns from the people in her community. This is Hope. She's a lot like you. She loves her puppy and the color blue. She likes to laugh and play and sing, but asking questions is her favorite thing. Where does the sun go? Why does it rain? Why don't snowflakes look the same? There are so many things Hope wanted to know, such as how many colors are in a rainbow? 
she asked her friends and her mom and dad, her grandma, her grandma Rose and her brother Brad, the mailman, the grocer, and nice Miss Ying. She'd ask anyone almost anything. One day, a question popped into her head and she asked her mom, who was making the bed, where does God live? Does God live nearby? Hope, God lives in heaven, way up in the sky. Now, Hope hadn't heard about heaven before, but she knew that she wanted to learn a whole lot more. So she went to the meadow to have a few words with sweet Mrs. Peep, her favorite bird. Have you ever seen heaven way up in the sky? Have you ever seen God when you fly far and high? I've seen clouds and stars and skies of blue, the moon and rainbows and lightning too. I've never seen heaven though. I've flown far and near, but the sky is so lovely. God has to live here. Hope thanked Mrs. Peep and went down to the stream to see Mr. Frog, who was chubby and green. Where does God live? She asked Mr. Frog. He looked up and smiled as he sat on his log. Look at the flowers, the wide open spaces, the trees and the butterflies, these beautiful places. To me, this is almost like heaven. You see, that's how I know God lives here with me. So already Hope has heard three different answers about where God might live. All of a sudden, a quick as a flash, Mrs. Fish jumped up high and came down with a splash. Oh no, that's not true. That can't really be. I know that God lives in the stream here with me. This crystal blue water is lovely. I know God lives here with me in the waters below. Hope thanked her friends and went on her way to hear what her grandmother might have to say. Her grandma was wise and her heart very pure and she'd know the answer that hope, that hope was sure. Does God live in heaven or down by the stream? Does God live in the water or is God a dream? Tell me, where does God live? I really must know. Please, won't you tell me, my sweet Grandma Rose? Her grandma smiled as grandmothers can and softly reached out for Hope's little hand. I know you're confused and I'm glad that you came. Now listen, real close and I'll try to explain. You know, God made everything seen and unseen, the wind and the sun and the meadow so green, stars and flowers and oceans of blue, trees and birds and rocks and all people too. When God makes a person, a star or a wave, part of God stays with whatever God made. So God lives in the sky, in the meadow, in the stream. God lives everywhere and God isn't a dream. God lives in the frogs and the birds and in you. When you're looking for God, it's easy to do. God lives in all things that you see, hear, or touch. God lives in all people. God's in each of us. And when you meet people who are loving and good, they're letting God out just as everyone should. And if you meet people who seem hateful or bad, they've forgotten God's here. That makes God sad. God is gentle and loving and cares for us all. God gives us strength to get up when we fall. God is always around to help us find truth, whether we're old or still in our youth. God's your best friend, Hope. God really cares. So make sure every day to take time for prayer. How should I pray, Grandma? What should I say? I want God to hear me. What's the best way? Her grandmother hugged her and said, precious you, just speak from your heart, hope it's easy to do. Tell God your wishes, your fears, your dreams. Then thank
Thank God for all of your favorite things and ask God to guide you in all that you do. And be thankful for all of the love God sends you. Hope kissed Grandma Rose and went on her way. She had no more questions, at least for that day. And on her way home, she saw God in all things, in the clouds, in the flowers, and in nice Mrs. Ying. Later that night, when Hope went to bed, she closed her eyes slowly and bowed down her head. Dear God, thank you so much for this wonderful day. Thanks for the friends who showed me the way. Please help me tomorrow in all that I do. And don't forget, God, how much I love you. I noticed that Hope started with a question about where does God live and one answer. And then as she asked more and more and more and talked to more people, she learned to see God everywhere she looked. Thank you for listening with me to this story. Second Samuel 7, 1-17 God's Covenant with David Now when the king was settled in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, the king said to the prophet Nathan, See now, I am living in a house of cedar, but the ark of God stays in a tent. Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. But that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, are you the one to build me a house to live in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent and a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about among the people of Israel, did I ever speak a word with the, any of the tribal leaders of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep to be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may live at their own place, and be disturbed no more. And evildoers shall conflict them no more, as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come forth from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. When he commits inequity, I will punish him with a rod such as mortals use with blows inflicted by human beings. But I will not take my steadfast love from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. For the word of God in Scripture, the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. Morning, church. I greet you this morning from somewhere north of, where are we? I don't even know. Somewhere north of Roslyn, nestled in the Cascades, very much resting in the womb of wild nature, filled with fresh air and nourished by Earth's lungs. Kent and I are here for a couple of reasons. First, on a mountain biking, mountain biking excursion with Kent and Rick a few weeks back, the pictures of which animated our scripture reading this morning. I dared to say out loud that it would be filling and fun to record a sermon outdoors. And Kent immediately volunteered to help with said project. I suggested going to a wooded area of Seattle. And Kent, well, look at where we actually ended up. Thank you, Kent, for taking this project to another level and elevating it 
an offering to bring the tech today. The reason behind the reason that we're here is rooted in the scripture that we heard this morning, in which God's voice declares that the divine one is nomadic and mobile, a traveler and a tent dweller, housing resistant. And the story of a tent dwelling, dwelling God did not feel right to be preached while sitting on a living room couch. There's a whole lot going on in this scripture that we heard this morning from 2 Samuel. The background is complicated. A complicated transfer of power from King Saul to David. And if you go even further back, the complicated history recorded in 1 Samuel of the people of Israel demanding a human king. After the family of Hannah's son Samuel proved themselves undeserving of leadership. And the Lord assuring Samuel that it is not he and his family that Israel has rejected in asking for a human king, but it was in fact the rejection of their Lord and God as their king. Samuel lines out the costs of having a human king to the people. And he closes with these words from the Lord, that the day will come when you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you. And the people responded, we want a king over us. Then we will be like other nations with the king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. And the Lord says then to Samuel, give them what they are asking for. So that's the backstory of complexity before the scripture that we heard today. In 2 Samuel now, Israel is a couple of kings deep. At this point, David is on the throne. He has centered worship in Jerusalem, which is neither north or south, functioning very much like a Washington, D.C. in ancient times. He has a posh house of cedar. He has a yes man in his corner, the prophet Nathan, whose basic position is, God blesses everything you do, David, so by all means, do as you wish. David is loving it. He loves his house. He loves his entourage. And he's quite sure that the Lord would love to have a piece of that action, a temple residence among the Lord's people, a fitting next step in the centering of God's blessing and presence in Jerusalem alongside the human king at David's initiative. But the Lord is housing resistant. God's initial objection is strong. What makes you think that I want this? I have always been in a tent with the people who were on the move, and you want to fix my presence in a temple? What about offering me the things that I want rather than the things that you want for me? Are you even interested in knowing what I want, what I long for to receive from my people? If God had hair, imagine God's pulling at it in frustration. But this is exactly the direction that the Lord warned the people that this human king project would take, with kings like David believing that what they liked or wanted was theirs to give or take. Was David's offer to house the Lord as innocent as just wanting God to have a well-deserved piece of the pie, a taste of the spoils, or is the undertone one of co-opting God and God's presence, legitimizing David's kingship, a plan to ultimately control access to the temple and thereby access to the divine. Either way, King David will not get the satisfaction of having God say yes to what God thinks, or what say yes to what David thinks God wants on David's timeline. But he does, he does get the consolation prize. A Davidic dynasty that under a future king will see a temple built. God is not ultimately housing resistant, but is willing to accept the housing on God's terms. Which is interesting to me if you haven't already picked up on it. It's also the same way that 
people uh, experiencing homelessness are worked with, whom society loves to term housing resistant when they reject housing or shelter that is offered by well-intentioned providers rather than asking what does housing look like that you would say yes to and how can we make that happen it's a sidebar for the moment but it's interesting to me that God is characterized as acting very much like someone experiencing homelessness who will accept housing on their terms this summer probably more than any other season in my life I've been sitting at the feet of indigenous elders and authors who are deepening my analysis of what Christianity needs to unlearn. That part of the walk of faith which seeks to align our thoughts and intentions with the divine one is to resist, to reject and unlearn the ways that Christianity has led us away from God's spirit of life, the ways that we have co-opted God for selfish gain. And no one has more to say on the topic of resistance than colonized people whom Christian authorities sought to erase through genocide and enslavement and residential school programming, land theft, cultural destruction, assimilation, and intergenerational poverty. I attended a conference this summer on Mother Earth's Pandemic, the Christian Doctrine of Discovery which was put on by the Indigenous Values Initiative, which was answering the question of what Indigenous resistance to Christian doctrines of domination looked like. And it's not quite what you might think. That resistance in their tradition is lifting up and sharing Indigenous brilliance and teaching. The answers we are seeking are there for those who would lend an ear to indigenous wisdom and brilliance. The understanding that the world does not have to be enslaved by the movement towards hierarchy and the co-opting of God in support of domination and colonization in spaces presided over by men, which is very much the trajectory we see in this passage from 2 Samuel. And it's the tradition that's been put on repeat by Christianity for centuries. Indigenous survivors, indigenous resistors offer humanity an understanding of the creator who is housing resistant, who rejects the path available to those who are the winners. Tink Tinker of the Osage Nation, who I remember being one of Pastor Megan's professors at seminary, talks about how he needed to internalize the ways of European Christian thought in order to have legitimacy and access to the career he was called into and the 40 years it has taken him to unlearn the assumed values of hierarchy, binary thinking about good and evil, and the residence of God being above the earth instead of the earth. To resist for him, then, is to share indigenous wisdom of an egalitarian community where elders and chiefs have a role, but only that of reflecting back the consensus of the people where all of creation are relatives, one to another, relatives with whom we can speak, and relatives that will provide us with what we need if we show them respect. Ken Workman, the great-great-great-great-grandson of Duwamish Chief Ciel, was featured in the Seattle Times a while back and he quoted Chief Seattle as letting Governor Isaac Stevens at that time know about the con their contrasting worldviews. The contrasting worldviews of European settlers and indigenous people. Saying to Governor Stevens, you abandon your dead and you think they are powerless. But the ground is more living to our feet than it is to yours. The hills, the valleys and the rocks resonate with the memories of my people. Workman talks about how this um, has changed his relationship to the earth, seeing his ancestors as part of everything, that everything in the ground which was grandma and grandpa, auntie and uncle, animals and plants at the molecular level 
all that has decomposed is sucked back into the trees and grasses. Forests connected through roots and fungi, sending and sharing nutrients, helping one another, supporting life. He says the Duwamish have been here so long that we are surrounded. Duwamish are in the grass, the berries, and in the ones who eat the fruits and veggies and eggs and meats that our relatives produce. That is eternal life right here in our hands and in our bodies it is our future and there is no hierarchy here only mutuality and interdependence dying so that others might live what might we need to unlearn in order to be resistant to ways of ways and structures of domination which are the waters that we swim in and reconnect with the divine presence that prefers a tent who is mobile, dispersed, and nomadic, present in and through all things. We're in a vulnerable place in these COVID times. One of my seminary professors, Jim Perkinson, who teaches a lot about God's indigeneity describes the moment we are in in his always provocative spoken word cadence. A virus has appeared without appearing, a being so small we know not whether the wiggly one is even living, a minutia serving notice in case we hadn't taken cognizance. We live in a world where a dwarf can upend a giant, a nanoparticle can take out a global economy. But the virus is not the enemy. It is a messenger, and the message is simple. We are crowding out everyone else on the planet to the tune of 200 extensions per day. We have taken too much. Probably we have become too many. We want too wantonly. It behooves that we understand at least a little bit the prime movers of this planet are single-celled microbes, ancestors of every living thing, here longer, dwelling more robustly, adjusting more flexibly than any other yet conceived in Earth Mother Belly. We call most of them bacteria, and their companion innovators, their co-creator incubators, are these tiny RNA voyeurs trade trading code for genes, switching up the mix, hatching diversity, making prolixity possible, the original multicultural artists par excellence. This microbiome, as it is called in scientific pomposity, is the primary communication going on for three billion years now on this blue marble, and it would not be blue without them. A continuous cacophony of tweets, constantly adapting the entire ensemble of living being to its constantly proliferating novelty. Viruses find their prime directive in the situation of stress, emerging en masse when the going gets tough to figure out a new road forward. And I confess I am quite intimate with them given that some 380 trillion ride in this aging bone bag of my body. I am a minority in my own flesh, and so are we. We're in a vulnerable place. Our health and well-being are in question, we are dispersed. We are separated from the human communities and gatherings that we were accustomed to. We are without some of those creature comforts which gave us joy, the travel, the yoga studio, the team sports, the spa. We are in a wilderness of sorts. But indigenous wisdom would remind us that we are never alone, that we are always in the company of our relatives that will provide us with what we need 
if we treat our relatives with respect. And our scripture today reminds us that the Lord prefers this scattered way to be with and among the people wherever they are, dispersed, mobile, and present wherever we find ourselves in this COVID wilderness, calling us to join the resistance and embracing reciprocity and interdependence, real and yet to be imagined. May it be so. While they're, uh, can you hear me? Um, I'm going to, in a minute, uh, share a song uh, that I wrote for a, another election quite a while ago, but I just wanted to say a few words about it because uh, this morning I woke up to the, like many of you woke up to the headlines in the paper about the military preparing for violent confrontations uh, after the elections. And... Um, it just reminded me, you know, when I was growing up in the 60s, sort of, uh, I guess, around 68, there were politicians that called for healing of the country, that called for human rights, were violently murdered and threatened. Uh, I think of McCain, Robert Kennedy, President Kennedy. Um, in the 70s, you know, planes were being hijacked. I think in the summer of 72, there was a hijacking almost every week. Um, and it adds a little perspective to, to uh, what's going on now. I think there was a period of time where maybe the last 20 years where our, our country focused on outward violence. And, and, you know, we focused all our violence on Iraq and Iran and and other countries. Um, and in the midst of that, there needs to be healing, and I think there can be, and that's what we're called to be. So even though this song is uh, written at a different time, I think it's, it's uh, appropriate today. Thank you. In a world where distrust is high Where everyday cynicisms fly Interest groups, politicians call North and South, church leaders fall But there's healing going on Yes, there's healing going on It's hard to break the bonds of love when there's healing going on On the wall sprayed yuppie scum Trillion dollar debt to come Pollution like another debt They say the worst ain't over yet But there's healing going on Yes, there's healing going on it's hard to break the bonds of love when there's healing going on. Seems like survival is the goal. Everyone trying to keep their soul. Not a time to be polite. Well, if you've got it, give me the light. The rich get richer, the poor just pay. There's got to be a better way to live down in community. The gospel's here, just look and see.
I see Scars of hurt staring at me Black and white, woman and man We gotta do the best we can Cause there's healing going on Yes, there's healing going on It's hard to break the bonds of love When there's healing going on Yes, there's healing going on Yes, there's healing going on It's hard to break the bonds of love When there's healing going on Well, this is hard to break the bonds of love When there's healing going on words be so as we seek healing and a relationship with the unhoused divine one whom we come before in prayer. I invite you to take a deep breath with me. We breathe in that divine spirit as we pray together. Holy One, we come before you, not alone, but in the company of your spirit and in the company of our relatives and the company of each other. We share our happiness with each other and it becomes greater. We share our troubles with each other and they become smaller. We share one another's griefs and burdens and their weight becomes possible to bear. May we be blessed in generosity, in giving, and humility in receiving. For in sharing with each other, we encounter you. We pray for our neighbors and our neighborhood in North Seattle and in Shoreline. As the Oaks in Shoreline continues to prepare a welcome for those in need of shelter, we pray that the neighbors of the Oaks will also prepare a welcome rather than placing legal barriers and blocks in place. We pray that hearts and relationships will be transformed. We place to our Lake City neighbors here around the church in your hands, God, businesses and families around the church who are troubled by encampments. May there be communication and collaboration with the Lake City Task Force. We long for partnership and bridge building among those seeking solutions to homelessness. We pray for the church throughout the world and for our own denomination. Along with many in the Mennonite church, we grieve recent revelations of abuse and misconduct toward Conrad Grable students by historian and theologian, John Rempel during his time on faculty there. We join the wider church in offering our prayers of lament for survivors while honoring their courage to come forward. We also pray for their healing and for anyone whose own experiences of boundary violation are triggered by this news. And God, we bring to you those in our own family of faith. We continue to hold Bob and Sandy in your care as they prepare for their wedding and for their life together. We pray for our infants and families in our congregation as we anticipate blessing them in coming weeks. May they continue to grow in love and be welcomed as a gift. May the parents of our infants find the support and companionship that they need during this time. We remember before you all families in our congregation and all the folks in our faith family for whom this way of worshiping together on Zoom is not a meaningful or workable way of being community. We pray that you will be with our families and with each of us who feel isolated or cut off from our family of faith. We pray with Zach this week in the loss of his grandfather. We give thanks that his granddad can be surrounded by family 
and that in his grief, Zach can continue to connect to the joy of new life as he holds baby Jonathan, the next generation of his family. We continue our prayer through the chat. We pray with Lene Nofziger for those hurt by North American Mennonite theologian, John Rempel. We continue in prayer and especially hold up those who have been survivors of sexual violence and those who are triggered and traumatized by yet another story of a trusted person hurting those within his trust. With Anne, we pray for David's family as they deal with the death of his mother, Maxine, from COVID. Particularly, we hold his father, Delmar, who lost a beloved wife of 68 years. God have mercy. With Darren, we offer prayer for his cousin, Meredith Holmes in Texas, who is going through a series of spinal operations. God surround her and those who are caring for her. We pray in grief with Weldon, who is mourning his beloved friend, Murphy Davis, who died this Thursday morning. We pray for Ed Loring and their daughter, Hannah, and Jason and Michaela, who lost wife, mother, and beloved grandmother. With Jennifer Delante, we pray for her uncle Jay, who's undergoing open heart surgery this coming Wednesday. Again, we ask you to be present with the caregivers, to be present with the surgeons. With Melissa, we pray for victims of the East Troublesome Fire in Grand Lake, Colorado, and the ranch where she worked for four summers in college. We give thanks that the livestock and the people are safe, but we ask you to hold that community in your hands. With Samuel and Christy and Jedediah, we pray for Samuel's grandmother as she too prepares for surgery for lung cancer. Protect her and breathe in her. With Isaac, we pray for a good friend whose elderly father has tested positive for COVID-19. For him and for all who, are, uh, who have this troubling diagnosis, we pray for your protection, God. Holy one, untented one, we come before you not alone, but in the company of so many of our relatives. We share our happiness with each other and it becomes greater. We share our troubles with one another and they become smaller. Be with us in these prayers and in those things which are either too tender or we deem too small. We know that in your eyes, nothing is too small and that we are beloved to you. Amen and amen. Amen. Um, we turn now to blessing our offerings, which at the moment are virtual. <laughs> um, but we wanted to say that we are grateful for all of the gifts that each of you offer to our congregation, monetary and otherwise. And we are grateful for the means to collect offerings digitally. Um, our resources support, among other things, Seattle Mennonite Church's community ministry, which offers hospitality and home to many in Lake City and beyond who are in need. And if you'll join us in our closing song, Michael will lead us in Sing the Journey number two, Come Walk With Us. With us, walk with us, the journey is come, walk with us, walk with us, the journey is come, walk with us, walk with us, the journey is come, walk with us, walk with us, the journey is the journey is the journey, the journey, the journey is the journey is the journey, the journey, the journey is the journey is 
mystery, the breath of life itself, send you into the world with a daring and tender love. The world is waiting. Do not fear. Go in peace. <laughs> 